If you have a Bible, turn to Colossians chapter 2. You lock that side over there. Colossians chapter 2. And we... Uh, I have to confess to you, you know, I'm, real, I'm torn today. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been in a place in your life where you really find yourself at a crossroads of contradictions. Has anybody been there? And uh, it's to the point to where, if I have to be honest with you, I, I don't really know what to do. I mean, I'm from Lew uh, Louisiana, so I should cheer for New Orleans. <laughs> but I'm over 40, and uh, let's hear it for old guys. <laughs> we rock, and we hurt people. That's right. So... I don't know, I grew up learning how to boo for the saints, so I'm not sure that uh, everybody in Louisiana wore paper bags back then, so. Well, Colossians chapter 2, you know, we are, uh, we're going through this series called The Big Three. And we started this a couple of weeks ago when Paul was sharing with the folks in Colossae about his suffering on their behalf, and he said, I'm sharing with you that I'm suffering because I want you to be encouraged I want you to be united in love, and I want you to be united in understanding. And remember, we talked about Red Rover, Red Rover, that we are to lock these things together because Paul was saying to these folks that uh, he wanted them to be locked together in these three things because in verse uh, 8 of chapter 2, he says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophies that there were those that were coming to kidnap them. That word literally is translated kidnapping when it says to take you captive. There, there are those that want to come and kidnap away from you uh, the truth that Paul is teaching and he taught to Epaphras. And so we don't stop with this being the big three. This is the foundation of our big three, as you guys can see. Dave, can you see the board? Awesome. And... Uh, but the understanding goes to these big three. And these are the big three things that we're going to talk about today and next week of what we believe that Paul was saying in Colossians chapter 2 that he wanted you to fully understand. Last week, we uh, began to tackle it with Dave preaching on that we are full in Christ, that we have fullness in Christ. But he also talks about this thing called circumcision or to be circumcised. And then he talks about the law. And we'll get to that next week. But remember what's going on here is that this is a church that Paul had never been to. He actually had gone through Ephesus and he had preached and served and ministered there. And there was a guy named Epaphras that came to know the Lord through Paul's ministry. He took the teachings of Paul and went back to Colossae and began to teach these things. And people were converted. But in that conversion process, there were people that were coming in and saying, hey, Epaphras doesn't have it completely right that he's only got a part of the picture. There's more things you need to know for you to be a believer. And this controversy rose up. So Epaphras traveled a thousand miles from Colossae all the way to Rome where Paul was in prison to say, Paul, write a letter to show these people that what I'm teaching them is from you and what you taught was from the Lord. And that's how we got the book. And we can kind of understand, you know, I was thinking this week about what's the state of the mind of those and Colossae, you know, what is that like to have this sense that, uh, that what you have changed your life? And it's powerful, and it's true, but then someone says, yeah, but it's not necessarily right. 
and you deal with the doubts and uncertainty that maybe I don't have it right. Let me give you an example. Because I think we can all relate to this. I think we all experience it. Because there's a lot of you in here that if I said, are you forgiven by the Lord? You would say, absolutely. I'm completely forgiven. The songs we sang just a minute ago, I'm forgiven. Is there ever times in your life that you don't feel forgiven? And isn't it funny when we don't feel forgiven, what questions rise out of that feeling? Am I really forgiven? Or take this for example, that we talk a lot here at Midtown about that we're free in Christ. And we come and we sing and, you know, we get each other worked up and we're like, free, we're free, we're free, you know? Free, free, what does that mean? I don't know, but we're free, we're free. And then we go out on Monday and, you know, and you start feeling less and less free when you're late for work, you know, and you're not doing great on that test. And, you know, your parents are saying, you're not free, you're costing me a fortune. Uh, you know, that it's funny because then we start saying, well, I don't feel free. And what does that lead to? The question, wait a minute, am I really free? Or how about, I know I love, I'm loved. I know I'm loved. I know I'm loved. I don't feel loved. I don't feel loved. I don't feel loved. Am I really loved? I know that I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit. I know that the Holy Spirit is working through me the purpose for the very, very purpose for which I was made. Hmm. I don't feel empowered by the Holy Spirit. This day seems pretty mundane. I feel like there's more sin in my life than power of the Holy Spirit. Am I really filled with the Holy Spirit? And it's funny how our emotions uh, can easily become the thing that begins to twist the truth and change our understanding. So these people in class I were saying, Epaphras was saying, all you need is Christ, all you need is Christ, all you need is Christ. And then these, these other teachers started coming in and going, Christ is good, but you need boom, 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 boom. And they go, wow, really? It's funny how sometimes when our emotions don't gel with what we think we understand, we start to think that I need more. I need to go to church more. I need more devotion. I need more special knowledge. I need, some people think, I need extreme poverty. If I gave everything away, then I would experience the feeling that goes with the knowing. Or, um, if any of you saw the Da Vinci Code, maybe self-abuse. That was brutal, wasn't it? The, uh, the albino and the thing on his leg. <laughs> okay. Or have you ever been in a church that has said to you, Christ alone? Have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Well, no. I, have you ever spoken in tongues? I don't think so. Maybe that freshman year in college. No, I've never spoken in tongues. Hmm, then. You see how subtle things start to creep in and begin to cause us to question whether or not what we hold is really true. I grew up in the South, and it's a funny thing about being in the South is that there were revivals like every weekend. And I can remember going to revivals as a believer and still wanting to walk the aisle. Like, I mean, I'm like, really? You were sinners going to hell? I, am I really a believer? 
And so it's funny how we can even begin to step into the struggle of the Colossae church by saying, you know, how can I be a Christian if, and then we start to fill in the blank. Do Christians really do that and do this? And I did that. All liars are going to hell. Wow, well, I, I fibbed about this, my golf score the other day. Am I going to hell? I mean, need to walk the aisle. Or how about, uh, how can God love me if I don't love myself? How can I be spirit-filled and still hang on to bitterness, hatred, even things like unforgiveness? Well, last week, Dave uh, skillfully helped us understand what it means when we're in the fullness of Christ. And he really challenged us that if you're in Christ, you're already full. Do you believe that you're full? And it's funny how sometimes we don't feel like we're full, right? Well, let me say a few things before we go forward about emotions. You know, emotions can't tell the difference between fact and fantasy. Our emotions don't have the ability to distinguish between past, present, or future. Our emotions are responders. They respond to whatever we put in front of them. I mean, think about it. You know, my emotions can't tell the difference between a scary movie and an actual event. I've been in scary movies where I've been scared before. <clears throat> you know, have you ever gone to a movie by yourself? Does anybody do that? Okay, for those of us that are secure enough to do something on our own. <laughs> the rest of you, that's my assignment for you this week. Go to a movie by yourself. And then make sure it's a really, really scary one late at night. And then walk to your car that's parked in the car garage all by yourself and say to yourself, scary movies don't scare me. Scary movies don't scare me. <clears throat> yeah. I know you guys. You know, uh, those scary movies. I laugh through scary movies. <clears throat> Where are my car keys? Open. Check the back seat before you get in. <clears throat> Isn't it funny how our emotions can be worked up like that? Because my, my emotions sometimes can't tell the difference between fact and fiction. You know? I can know that somebody's not breaking into my house. But still my imagination can run away with me to where my emotions are reacting in such a way as if somebody's actually breaking into my house. I can't go back to sleep. The adrenaline's pumping. Well, you know nobody's in the house. It was the dog that knocked over the lamp. I know, but... <sighs> My emotions don't know that. Or how about, how about uh, past pain? I mean, I can sit and think about, now maybe you can't do this, but I can think, think about things in my past that have been really painful for me. And my emotions can actually go back to that time and place and begin to feel the very thing that I was feeling at that time, even though that event is long gone. Because my emotions are responding to what I'm putting in front of it. Or how about, have you ever pulled out old photos? I can't do that with my kids. Like, you know, when they're like two and three years old, because all I keep thinking is, who took you? And where are you? Are you waiting somewhere for me? <laughs> Aliens replaced you with this teenager. <clears throat> the thing about future we have 
an amazing ability to take current circumstances and project them to the future and experience the emotion that would be tied to an event if it happened to turn out that way. For example, you may be single this morning. And in your darker moments, you convince yourself, because I'm single today, I will be single for the rest of my life and I ought to just start buying cats now. <laughs> and we have the ability to project a future that's so dark and so brutal. There's no freedom in that projection that being single when you're 80 may be the most beautiful thing that ever happened and God's gift to you. It, we can have the ability to take current circumstances and roll them into the future to where they become so bad and so dark that I get depressed and all I want to do is just sit at home today. Why? Because 50 years from now, my life is going to be a wreck. <laughs> right? I mean, we, you, because our emotions are responding. And we find ourselves praying to God about situations that God's looking at us going, why are you praying that? I mean, why are you praying about cats? I have no cats in your future. But you understand what I'm saying is that here was this struggle in this church where somebody was coming in and saying, you don't understand correctly. And they're saying, well, maybe we don't. And Epaphras is traveling to Paul saying, Paul, they need full understanding. Because Paul understood something. In our culture, we think if I, I need to understand something so that I can feel it and out of that emotion I can ha bring action to it. I need to understand it, get passionate about it, and then I'll do it. Paul was saying, no, let's flip that around. I want you to understand something with your mind, and then I want you to apply action to what you understand. And then the emotion will follow. Now let me explain, when I say action here, in Colossians 2.6, you can go look at it again, that is action. In the same way you received Christ, so now walk in him. Our action isn't we're doing things to honor God so that we can get him to be uh, pleased with us. We're doing things because we are pleased with God. And out of the faith that he's given us to trust him, we live our lives out of what we know. And then we let emotion follow. So let's go to Colossians 2. Wow, that was like a sermon intro, wasn't it? <clears throat> Sorry. And I apologize to all those who have cats could have easily been dogs. Understand the mind. Colossians 2 verse 9. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form and you were given fullness. If you weren't here last week go back and listen to that. You were given fullness in Christ. You're not getting full you are full. Who is the head over every power and authority? In him you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, raised with him through your faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sin sinful nature, God made you alive in Christ. So why is Paul bringing up this circumcision thing? I mean, really, seriously. Circumcision is something that goes all the way back to the time of Abraham. Something that was done to the male child of the family eight days after the birth. It was a bloody ritual of removing the foreskin as a mark that God has placed a covenant over this child and over this family. And it was a really important part of Israel. Very important. Matter of fact, if you'll go back and read the story 
of Joshua when he was leading, you know, the people left Egypt. They fled slavery. They went into the desert. And they eventually got to the place where they could go into the promised land. And Joshua was leading them into the promised land with swords drawn, ready to go and, and do battle to win the land that God had given them. And God said, stop. You're surrounded by your enemies. All the men need to be circumcised. Go read it. For days they couldn't move. You can chuckle, it's true. It's funny now, it wasn't funny then. That's how important it was to God that they wear the mark of the covenant. Listen to Genesis chapter 17. This is verses 10 through 12. This is my covenant, this is the Lord speaking, with you and with your descendants after you. The covenant that you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household are, are bought with money for a far, from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. Okay. Well, it's clear from the Old Testament you're to be circumcised. And then listen to verse 14. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. It says it right there in the Bible. If you're not circumcised, you're cut off. You have nothing to do with God. The covenant between God and Abraham does not cover you. And you can just imagine that verse being read to the Colossae church that was made up of mostly Gentiles. And the Jewish leaders were saying, hey, okay, we believe Christ was the Messiah and all that, and that's good what he did on the cross, but are you circumcised? There's no way you can be saved, right? Well, it seems obvious that they should continue this process of circumcision unless, and this is beautiful, okay, we have to go underneath what we read in Genesis chapter 17 and understand the deeper meaning of what circumcision is all about. Circumcision was a shadow. Now, I, shadow, all right? Doggy, all right? The shadow is a reflection of what? It's a tough question. <laughs> I'll give you multiple choice, all right? The shadow is a reflection of you. A, B, me. C, both of the above. All right, it's a, it's a reflection of the real thing. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 30. This is verse 6. The Lord your God will, underline that word will, circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your life. God was even stating in Deuteronomy that there is a circumcision that is coming that has nothing to do with the shadow, but it has to do with the real thing. That the shadow was cutting something apart, but the real thing is cutting something much deeper apart. Cutting something much deeper away. Colossians chapter 2. Let's go back to that. In him you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature 
not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision that is done by Christ. So Deuteronomy chapter 30 is now fulfilled in Colossians chapter 2 verse 11, and it's done by the hand of Christ. But it's cutting something away. What is it cutting away? The sinful nature. What Abraham couldn't do, that the old circumcision was just a shadow of the real thing, was that our hearts need to be circumcised. This is God's work, isn't it? Listen to verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through, through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. So for us to understand this new circumcision that's done by the hand of God through Christ, we have to understand why Paul now connects circumcision to baptism. Now it's no longer circumcision that's a sign of the covenant. Now it's baptism that's a sign of the covenant. And to understand baptism a little bit better, we've got to go to Romans chapter 6. So turn over there. I know we're going all over the place, aren't we? Y'all can handle it. You can do it. Chapter 6. Remember chapter 5 of Romans is, uh, you know, it's this Paul, Paul's going sin, 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 sin. Grace, 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 grace. Sin gets this high, grace is getting this high. Um, however much sin you bring to the table, God's going to trump it with more grace. And he says it in such a radical way that he actually says in chapter 6, so shall we sin more so that we can get more grace? And then Paul says, no, no, no. Now let me teach you your relationship with that which has been cut off. And we're in verse 6. For we know that our old selves were crucified with him so that the body of sin may be done away with and that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who's died has been freed from sin. He's talking about baptism here, that when we were baptized with Christ, we died with him on the cross, but then we rose with him to newness of life. And there are three things that he tells us about this cutting away. One, the body of sin is done away with. Two, that we are slaves of sin no longer. And three, that we're free from sin. Now let me say this. In both these passages, it talks about uh, burial. Uh, what do you bury? Dead things. And what is it that's dead in this passage? Mm, lots of good dead stuff. But first and foremost, the old me is dead. My old sin of flesh is dead. Now this is a radical idea. The old Adam, the one that only knew sin, is now dead to the point to where it is getting buried. What does that mean? First, the body of sin is done away with. What Paul is saying here is that before my life with Christ, all I knew was sin. It's all I knew. I didn't know how to live in honoring to God. All I knew was what was of this world and what was of my own heart. Almost everything in my life was filtered through a filter that was about self-glorification, was about self-honoring, self-love, self-justification. Everything was through this thing called sin. It had corrupted every aspect of my being. It had touched every aspect of my life. I grew up, like I said a minute ago, in Louisiana. And it's a funny thing. Have any of y'all ever been to South Louisiana? You know, they have a different accent than they do in Boston. Matter of fact, it's so thick 
that you can hardly understand it if you've never spent much time down there. But if you ask them, do you hear how you're talking? What will they say to you? You're the one with a weird accent. Because it is natural for them to speak like that. Just like if you go to Germany, people are going to speak in German. It's natural for them to speak that language. And when I'm born in sin, I'm born with the sin nature that speaks the language of sin as naturally as someone in South Louisiana speaks with a Creole accent and doesn't even hear it. That is cut away. It is gone. And here is a powerful statement. I'm a slave to it no longer. Not only has it been cut away, now it's been buried, and I'm not a slave to it anymore. I have been introduced to something so radically new that the old has been pushed out of the picture. It's obsolete. It's no longer applicable to the new life that I've been given. It's almost like I've been given a new language. You know, it's funny. Uh, well, this isn't funny. Not at all. <laughs> I was reading the other day about Nelson Mandela. I don't know if you've ever read about him. The amazing man. Uh, do you know how many years he spent in prison? Anybody got that number? Bingo. Wow, dynamic. 27 years he spent in prison. And I just want to, I want you to get your mind around this, okay? For 27 years, this man who was fighting for liberation and freedom for his people was put into prison. So every morning he was told for 27 years, this is where, when you're going to wake up. For 27 years, this is what you're going to eat. For 27 years, this is what you're going to wear. For 27 years, this is when the light's going out. For 27 years, this is when you leave your cell. For 27 years, this is when you come back to your cell. For 27 years, there were these people that wore uniforms that were called guards, that were his masters, and everything that he said, he had to respond to with obedience. Because in fact, he had become a slave to the prison that he was in. And he was a slave to the prison guards, right? Now, how monumental do you think it was when they opened the prison doors and said to Nelson Mandela, you are now a free man? I, if I was him, the first thing I would do is take off the slave clothes, wouldn't I? I'm not wearing those anymore. That is of the old slave man. I am a free man now. And I'm going to wear the clothes of a free man. And I'm going to walk like a free man. And what does that look like? I'm not turning to the guard and saying, hey, can I walk out the door now? No. I am free. Which leads me to understand freedom from sin. Because this is beautiful. The third thing in this process of understanding the circumcision, that imagine Nelson Mandela now being president of South Africa. As far away from being as a slave to a prison as you can possibly imagine. And imagine one of the guards calling him up and saying, Nelson, get back over here and clean up your cell. Well, first of all, he probably wouldn't be able to get through, right? Because he'd be unreachable. But imagine him saying, oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm sorry. I completely forgot about that. I'm coming. That would be unfitting because we know that in Nelson's freedom, in the position that he has been given in his freedom, that guard has no power whatsoever to order Nelson Mandela to anything. And in the same way that we have died to sin, 
that we've been set free from the prison of sin that had held us bondage long before Christ came and circumcised our heart and set us free. He cut the old slave life away and he brought us into the royalty as heirs of the kingdom of God that we would reign with him that when the old sin comes knocking on our door and says, hey, it has no authority whatsoever to command my life to do anything. Are y'all tracking that? An example that we often give here is that when a credit card company calls me up and says, Mr. Drugan, <laughs> anybody that asks for Mr. Drugan, we usually hang up. <clears throat> yeah, he doesn't live here anymore. All right, but uh, this is so-and-so from Visa. If I'm past due, if I owe them a lot of money, my heart's going to skip a beat because they have power over me. They have debt over me. And having debt over me, they have control over me. Well, when Christ circumcised my heart, he canceled the debt. So when the credit card call comes to me and says, Mr. Drugan, I know all they're doing is calling to appeal to something because they have no authority to do anything to me. And the same is with sin. Right? Hmm. So action. Let's run through this quick. <clears throat> if I know that to be true, that in the circumcision that Christ has given me through his work on the cross and through his resurrection, that I died with him, but then I rise to newness of life, that newness of life that I've come to now, now that the old man is dead and a new man is alive, that new man wants to live. And that new man is going to live in action. And that action is going to be defined by faith expressing itself through love. So let's practice the new life. Listen to some of the things that are the practice of the new life. Love your enemies. Hmm. If your enemy is hungry, feed them. If your enemy is thirsty, give them drink. Overcome your enemy's evil with good. How about this? If you want to be great, then become the greatest servant. How about this? You want to be first? That's awesome. The way to it is to be last. Submit yourself to the governing authority. Ugh. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Consider others better than yourself. If you're suffering, praise God. And that's just a short list. If we're honest, how difficult is that? Wait a minute, I thought we were new men. We're like Nelson Mandela, man. We're in the presidential suite. Why? Why is it so hard to act presidential? And this is where it's beautiful. How do we want to do these things? How do we do these things? See, the truth of it is, even in my newness, I can't live the Christian life. I can't do it. In this newness, the secret isn't to take up the way of the old man and then try to live the new man through the strength of the old man. The new man is, I can't live the Christian life, but Christ can, and he does. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. 
The life I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now there's a new power that's working within me. In my gospel, the journey into this is a constant reminder of my need for the gospel. When I step into loving my enemies and I find myself hesitating, it's the reminder, Lord, it is the strength of you in me that gives me the power to do this. You're the one that has to do this through me. I repent of the desire I have to beat up my enemy and to hurt my enemy and help me to pick up the gospel that you call me to love my enemy. Lord, I want to be first by being the most celebrated. Lord, I just repent of that. And I want to pick up the journey that you're calling me on in serving those and celebrating others. To consider others more important than myself. You get that? The journey of the new man? And then finally, emotions. Let me wrap up with this. So do we just become emotionless people? What do we do with this? I'm just going to tell you right now, this is awesome. So for the first time in my life, I'm free to feel. For the first time, if I understand and I have given myself to living out of the action of that which I know to be true in my own life, for the first time in my life, I'm free to feel. Let me explain. Go to Psalm chapter 13. Psalm 13. I am free now for the first time in my life to feel what I'm going through. I'm free to acknowledge where my heart's at. I'm free to acknowledge all that's going on inside of me. I don't have to numb myself to the cries of my heart anymore. But then again, I don't have to be controlled by the cries of my heart anymore. I can listen to the cries of my heart and acknowledge my heart and full awareness of where it is because of these two. Listen to David. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? This is David. This is in the Bible. Imagine saying that to God. How long are you going to forget me? Where are you? You've turned your back on me, haven't you? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? David is saying, can you not see what's happening? And you can sweep in and change it and you're not? Do you not see the emotional turmoil that's going on in my own life? Where are you? How can David talk like that? Because of verse 5 and 6. Because, listen to this, I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord. He has been good to me. Did y'all follow that? Can I do it again? But I trust, I know your unfailing love. For I have been circumcised with Christ. I'm a new man. I'm not in prison anymore. I stand free man, reigning with my Lord. I know I can trust in your unfailing love. And my heart, because I know that, by actions I will rejoice in your salvation. And I will sing to the Lord. Why? Because I know that you have been good to me. And because I know those things, it frees me to come to you, God, and say, how long will you forget me forever? That seem odd to you? So Paul is giving us this. Let's lock our arms together. Because when we understand, it encourages us now to be able to love ourselves and love one another. That we are circumcised. 
not by anyone's hands, but the hands of the Lord, that the old life has been cut away and we've been brought into the new so that we can know. And in that knowing, live by faith. And in that faith, we are free to be right where we are. But right where we are doesn't change what we know to be true. Right? All right. Hope that's helpful. Let me close this in prayer. Lord, we just thank you that, Father, you've given us these beautiful things called emotions. That out of them flows zeal and passion and uh, song and poetry and, um, and just beauty, Lord. It's just absolutely beautiful. But we also recognize that, Father, like everything else in our lives, it's been corrupted by this prison cell, the old man that you've cut away now. And we're in a process learning, of learning, Lord, how to speak a new language. We're in a process now, Lord, of learning how to live in, in breathing in the free air of that in Christ. We're in a process, Lord, of learning how to use these legs you've given us to act in faith and express it in love. And so, Holy Spirit, keep teaching us. And give us courage, Lord, uh, because we know that we know that we know that we know that we are yours by the work of your own hands, that we can give ourselves to that and free to feel with our own hearts and with each other. And I pray you lead us now, Father. Lead us in this time of worship. Lead us in this time of singing, that our, that our hearts would sing and find encouragement that you are present with us in this teaching. In Christ's name, amen.